Can't get enough of Cthulhu and Cairo? Join our Patreon for as low as $3 per month to access special features and bonus content. You can find us online at patreon.com slash thebardiccollege. You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Good evening, and welcome to the Bardic College presents another episode of Cthulhu in Cairo, the show where the keeper, me, gets more hate mail than, uh, well, a lot of people, because I'm the only one who seems to get it on the show. But that's because I keep beating up on the players, especially Faye. Um, so we're now doing hashtag Faye Dawson has rights. So you can always try that uh, if you're on Twitter with us. Uh, we have Heinrich lives already, but now it's Faye Dawson has rights. Please stop beating Faye. So we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter three. We've had some mic off air, uh, off mic discussions regarding the players' hopes and dreams while they uh, did a little R and R in Malta which carries the calendar for us now to the second week of August. So we're going to go across, uh, introduce our players. We haven't done that in a while. Talk to them real quick about what their characters have been doing in Malta and uh, just kind of get you settled in for this trek into the mountains towards a lake in India known as Rup Kund and hopefully one of the items of power from the Lake of Bones. So, Sid, we'll start with you. Welcome back. Chapter 3. This is exciting. How's Sid been so far? What's he been doing in Malta besides whoring around? We know how Sid is with that mustache. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, the Maltanese are so famous for their just red light district. Um, What's been Sid doing? How's he been through this whole process? Um, Sid's good. Sid's good. Sid's uh, raring to go. Move on from from Italy and the craziness that came there. Um, he's been making some phone calls uh, and uh, correspondence back and forth with some connections in Nepal that we will hook up later. Some uh, some climbers, some logistics uh, to help us on the on the next adventure. Sort of getting some some of the logistics in place for when we arrive there. And Sid's background does have some climbing in it, some some tunneling. For those of you who haven't checked out part one of Sid's solo adventure on our Patreon. That's that. That was good. Sid, uh, Sid has an interesting time back in uh, 1916 during that dig. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, we're hopefully going to be releasing in February of this month, well before this episode comes out. Hopefully by then you'll already have a chance to catch up with part one and two and learn a little bit more about Sid Poulter in the early years. So uh, yeah, we'll catch up with Sid's uh, contacts when we hit Nepal. So Faye, besides the blood transfusion, the therapy the acupuncture and the rolfing or whatever other techniques have been to keep you, you know, your body from seizing up into atrophy at this point. Um, how's she doing? Chapter three, chapter two, she lost her dad. That, that was tough. Uh, shot by her best friend in the face. Faye's, uh, Faye's <laughs> gotta be, I don't know. Why don't you tell us where is Faye right now? Um, she's certainly not mentally stable. Hmm. That much I can assure you. Um, she, her father was the only blood family that she had left. And before he died, she learned brutally so much. Yeah. Before he, (laughs) before his, um, untimely, it happens, you know, life goes on. Um, that's what she keeps telling herself. You know, she learned her 
image of her family and especially of her father has just been turned upside down in her head in a matter of 24 hours. And she's been spending all this time processing. She's also been just taking care of any affairs of his, just, you know, trying to move forward, like sort through his death, like sort through like any of his, any like stuff that you have to do after someone dies. Right. Because um, she doesn't want, you know, her father just go mysteriously missing. She doesn't want that to follow her. So she's just been trying to tie up any loose ends with it. But she's definitely not been herself. She's been very quiet. She's been going. She's just been taking a lot of time to herself. She's been when she's when she's not on the phone trying to figure things out. She's been laying in bed. She's been sitting in an armchair with a cup of tea, not talking to anybody. God, she'll be herself again one day, but right now it's just a little too fresh. So, so that's just what she's dealing with. We realize this is an, a podcast that doesn't actually have video attached to it. This is a, a radio show. But just for me and for the other people that can see you here, the players, why don't you give us your best glare at Catherine every time you see her have a sandwich or chew or breathe? Because no longer can your father <laughs> breathe. So why don't you just give us oh my God. your best? <laughs> wow. No, um, regarding... I regarding saved what, him. Like, I have a very loose idea of what saved means. Okay, I did the right thing because there was no saving him yes. and it was merciful. No, yeah. what Faye realizes half a person, is... Literally. <laughs> it's, you know, she might have said a lot of things, you know, in the last episode, it's She's just yelling out because, you know, she realized that she was losing her father. She's upset. She's She doesn't want him to go. She would have much rather have gone in his place. She, it's her father. It's the only person that she has left, blood-related. Um, so I, she understands what you did, but she is still processing it. She still I, loves you, but it's just going to take time. Of course. And over to that, um, we'll go to uh, Catherine. Catherine uh, Lauren, who plays Catherine. Catherine Ross, the gun mall of the group, um, the morphine kicker. She, you you should have like a Targaryen, you know, mother of morphine, uh, shooter of faces. You know, wow. you should have this entire shotguns through door of car. You you need this entire title just demonstrating your sheer... wife of criminal overlord. <laughs> yeah, fiance of cosmic entity of hell. Uh, something just. But other you know, than that, how is Catherine and what has she been doing in Malta? Well, what she has been doing sounds so mundane, honestly. She's been working out in preparation for our trip to <laughs> Nepal. She has um, made some very difficult phone calls home mm -hmm. to her dear parents, who she hasn't spoken to in a, in a long time, because she feels kind of guilty for shooting Mr. Dawson in the face. Well, we should it's probably roleplay that conversation at some point. We'll do oh, that just as everyone's yeah. getting on the plane. Yeah, we can um, take two seconds no. and do that one. Sure, it'll be it'll be great. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> and the final thing, which I'm most excited about, and she's most excited about, is she's learned a skill, printmaking. She has decided that the group needs some education on a topic very important for where we're going. Sure. So she's made some pamphlets. Great. She's very excited to show them. But she's also, as you said, she's been hitting the heavy bag. So it's not, yeah. yeah, she's been doing some calisthenics, you know, mm -hmm. who was cardio for my people who are more into the, the mainstream <laughs> names. Cause I can't remember a person's oh, name to save God, my life. 
Walter is saying the most horrible things, dear readers, in our group chat. Wow, that was I'm, It's not true. Sorry, it's not true. It's all bloody lies. I so, couldn't control my laugh. I'm sorry. Right. So who's, wow. who's the guy that did uh, bo the boxing with Bob Banks? Somebody Banks? Wait, what are you talking about? That's what Catherine Ross has been doing, like shadow boxing. He has that those oh. video series of oh Billy Billy Blank Billy Bill, Blank Billy Blanks yeah. right oh Ty Bo yeah yeah Ty 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 Bo Ty boxing Ty Bo yeah okay Actually, yeah no let's Ty let's Bo. do this in let's do this in house. Aveline has been teaching you how to throw punch. Um, yeah, she's been giving you some some of her third grade calisthenic exercises that she uses when she's in between cases. So. I love this even more now. It's called third grade because I teach it to grade. third graders. <laughs> the th wow. The third degree. It's called huddling, Paul. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. So, this is going to uh, hurt me more than, more than it hurts, hurts you. you. Um, so we'll go through our last two. Uh, Scott plays Professor John Schooley, um, our resident mystic who is delving deeper and deeper into the arts. And... Um, What's uh, what's John been doing in Malta besides trying to teach Faye some sort of tantric healing by uh, so that she she can actually use well, her I, arms I, and legs? He's got, he's got some ideas, but you know John's um you know Malta is is well timed because uh, you know it it's like he's been absorbing this information and absorbing this inner light for years, and at the the moment of this this you know being faced with this great evil and seeing what Faye's father was doing. He just feels like inspired to pour it out and probably more surprised than anybody else. He was trying to play it cool, but it really kind of threw him for a loop of, of how effective, you know, actually casting a spell was. Right. So he's kind of, uh, he's kind of withdrawn and he's, he's, you know, there, there was a, um, there was quite a mental, uh, you know, price for that. And, um, in some of his learnings, he's, you know, learned some meditative techniques, you know, from the Romani kind of folk magic that he's studied and learned from. So um, he kind of went through a process of, of uh, earth and air and fire and water through the, through this, this meditative cycle uh, while in Mon Malta, which kind of calmed and healed his mind, both, you know, spiritually and physically. And I think, um, I think he would recognize Faye, uh, you know, the just the distress that she's in and would have uh, invited her to join him in meditation. Maybe not fully and maybe not fully delving in, but just to start maybe showing her some techniques to, you know, perhaps center herself and, and find some sort of, um, you know, place of, of rest yeah. within herself. It, it, um, I mean, for her, it can't hurt at this point. When you're that far down, you can only go up, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but he also spent some time in Malta, you know, with the ancient history that Malta has. He he found a, an ancient library and and or an old library that had some 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 tattered old dust covered records, and um, he thinks maybe he's found some interesting information here on Malta that might have even kind of led him down some interesting new paths. The uh, the incurcamente, so to speak. So he's um he's he's rested. He's prepared to go to Nepal, and um, he's there for the team. And that brings us to our vigilante, the uh, the lady who gets things done, uh, faced off quite a bit in Venice in the past against 
some of the Il Familico had kept watch on the team from the t- from top side as everything was going south in the basement. Uh, she was able to keep them in, you know, from anything from getting down there is Aveline. Aveline, what's uh, what's been going on for her at this point, Kayla, in Malta? You've had a you know a couple weeks there. Are you trying to resecure your network? Uh, what were your thoughts about Aveline spending her time uh, on the island? She would definitely be trying to keep in touch with her criminal network of mirages, as we call ourselves. Basically, crime doesn't stop because the world is ending for everybody else. So she's making sure that like all her mirages are taking up the mantle, the reflection, and stopping minor crime busts and keeping the world in a state of, okay, we're fine, we've got our hero, while she's currently trying to fix the big fish, fry the big fish. And also just, she knows she has no agents in Asia, so she was trying to see if like she could contact anybody in like the underground to see if somebody knew anyone there that could be dealt with while she was over there. Okay, uh, which is something that will that'll pop up as we get into the story a little bit. Aveline also, uh, we were just saying, we'll, we'll also, if you, you're okay with it, that Catherine has been trying to learn some other methods of self-defense besides capping people um, as a yeah, way of showing, um, you know. She that- would teach the great Catherine Ross the Aikido moves, uh, basic self-defense, not the punting, of, as you were describing it a moment ago, but she would just, yeah, self-defense. Okay. Yeah, just ways of keeping... Uh, in fact, she would teach everybody if they didn't already know. Like, she would probably have put John Schooley on his ass once or twice. No offense, John. Well, well thank you. Martial arts, it's martial arts. I mean, not everybody has it yet. Uh, but no, it's it, sharing skills like this will allow you the next time we roll, now that you guys are doing that, if you're tapping into something like that, we can make rolls for it so that if anybody is higher than a 60 in anything, they're considered mastered enough where they're able to teach. So, like, That's just sort of a a number that we base that on. So if you're a 60 or higher, you can start sharing your information. And it's a slow burn, but then once you use the skills outside in the game, they'll go up the normal route, right? But if you tell me, yeah, I'm going to two, three times a week, I'm going to work on this, or I'm going to do meditation, I'm going to... Then, yeah, those things would play at the end of the chapter so that you would have a chance to roll for those skills. So it's good downtime stuff. That's that's really the point. All right, we've... um, To leave Malta, you're going to catch a... It's going to have to be a plane... So we'll get you to, I think the closest thing, Malta, Madagascar, right? Is right there? No, Malta's in the Mediterranean. Yeah, but Mad- and Madagascar's at Madagascar the bottom Madagascar is of... off the uh, southeastern coast of Africa. Southeastern? Right, yeah. Uh, what's the one across yeah, yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, Across from Malta? Well, Malta. Probably like Crete. Oh, okay. So Crete would have an airport. Yeah, we'll use Crete. That's fine. So I have we're flying over water again. Yes. Congratulations. Don't let that bother mm. you. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, it could. It could if you're in a life fest. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking of my beloved syringe sl- slinger. Right. Well, that's just yummy. <laughs> Sister syringe. Ooh, um, stop it. <laughs> I have so many names. Well, she's Sister Mary now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Queensryche. Take an inspiration for that. We don't use those in those games. <laughs> but keep it for next time. So, yeah. So we're going to... The airport, uh, you leave Crete. You're going to be flying for <laughs> quite a while. It's at least going to be one touchdown along the way, probably in India, and then you'll cross over into Nepal. The person that you're going to meet uh, are some of Sid's contacts. So their names are Wallace Cuthbert 
Edward Norton and Sorsha Bellatros. And Sorsha's a logistics person, and then Wallace and Edward are old climbing buddies of um, Sid Poulter's. And they're planning on meeting you in Kathmandu at a place called Torgi Expeditions. And that's the place that you're going to be meeting up with them to discuss the climb, the route, the distance, what you'll be facing and purchasing your gear and allowing Catherine to hand out her very nice pamphlets on a good glossy stock. Something a little bit, probably like a 40 pound, 50 pound paper. <laughs> so the, the flight over, everyone doses off and goes to sleep except you, Catherine. Um, we'll start. We'll start. Hit me. <laughs> no. We'll start the nightmare about mid-ocean. We'll, we'll do this right over the water. Uh, no, everything's That's fine. Awesome. This this particular part of the leg of the journey does not involve any type of vision for you. Great. Uh, well, there's reasons they're coming clearer as we go. And uh, on the third day of your trip, so it's it's a day in the air, land, a couple hours overnight, planes, you know, restocked with fuel, things of that nature. You make your second jaunt of the flight, and uh, you do arrive in a small town outside of Kathmandu. Uh, it's a big, this, it's an airfield, and it's just this little village that's grown up around it. Um, the touchdown is is rough, but it's good. It is August. It's the 16th, and you have already wired ahead from your last stop, Sid, and sent a telegram on forward towards this building, called, you know, towards this establishment, Torgi Expeditions. And um, hopefully that's, you know, that's where they are, or they'll be moving in there shortly, or they've been there, and they'll catch this this thing saying what day you're going to arrive. So you land. Uh, I'll make a quick roll to make sure that you didn't have a problem with the Katmandu Telegraph arriving. To roll see if you wing damage. Something on the wing. <laughs> yeah. You know, the last adventure that I was in and we got into a plane didn't end so well. So there you and, and, and I somehow yeah, got yeah, you, the Yeah, you crashed the plane. Yeah, you. that was you. That was not me. You was not me. you yeah. crashed a plane in a field. <laughs> All right. The plane went down. Right. Yes. So there, um, there is a car waiting there, and standing next to the car uh, as the plane lands and then starts to taxi around, coming up closer to what look, appears to be a barn with a couple of trucks outs- uh, around it that are basically just big barrels of fuel on the back. There's not even a tank in the ground. This is a real transitory airport. I mean, they it's been in use for a couple of years, but it's not even paved yet. No one's put the money into the infrastructure. Fuel is brought in in barrels and then hand cranked into the planes. So uh, there is, you know, there's a windsock that sits up on top of the barn, but that's about it. There's no tower. There's nothing like that. So it taxis around. Beautiful landscape, though, already. I mean, this part of Nepal. And standing outside is your old friend, Ed Norton. So um, plane opens up, you know, the door comes up, the little steps come out. Your luggage is all secured in the back. It was a single wing, uh, single prop plane. Spirit of St. Louis, a little bit better than that, but, you know, a little bigger. But it was... It was a commercial flight, but remember, these things are cramped. They're bamboo chairs. It's It was tough travel back then, and you guys have been in the plane for day and a half with a few stops to stretch your legs for a couple hours, but it's been a long flight. And uh, Sid, as you descend, gentleman by the car comes walking over, and he's like, Palta, good to see Hello, you. Norton. It's been too long. It's been too long, Norton. 
Not long enough if you're still on the source. Cheeky bastard. You're not really a drunk. He's just teasing. Right. right. <laughs> you don't have to play that you're an alcoholic because of the comment. <laughs> He's like, so, bringing up a bunch of, uh, well, you got some ladies with you. That's nice. Why are we uh, heading to Roop Coombed? You weren't really specific about that, Sid. Well, we've got some things we need to uh, to look into, and uh, my mates and I wanted to uh, climb the mountain to find them. I thought you were the you were the chap to do it. I'm the chap to do it, but not really overly strenuous climb. Just a few bad spots. I'm sure we can talk about on the way. Let me introduce myself to everyone, folks. I'm Ed, but you can call me Ed, and that's just a joke. It's nice to meet you, and you are. And he extends his hand towards you, Faye. My name's Faye. Nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you, too. You got something... There's something dark behind those eyes. Yeah. This one's a little bit of a firecracker. It's called the death of my father. Thank you. See? I like that. Knows how to joke around. And (laughs) walks over. And who's this proper young lady here? He's not that much older than you, Catherine, but he's calling you a young lady. I'm 36. 37? Doesn't matter. He's just being himself. Catherine, uh, sir, lovely to meet you. And you. Later on, I'll tell you some things about Sid. Right firecracker oh. he was in his youth. Oh. Easy I'm, now. I'm... Careful, Abe. That one there, she's a crazy minx. Careful what you say to her. She's a bit of a thrill with a needle. Excuse me. <laughs> and he walks over to Aveline, and uh, he says, Oh, pleasure, miss. My name's Ed. Edward Norton. And you are? You said, and it's Aveline. You said, and it's Aveline. You said your name was Ed before. Right. Colder than the Himalayas over here, Sid. (laughs) You have no idea. Well, do now. All right. Catherine nudges Aveline. Are you okay? (laughs) He made a joke about his name and it didn't even make sense. Walks over to Scott. (laughs) To John Schooley. All right. Okay. (laughs) Puts his hand out. (laughs) He's now totally deflated. Um, The Hindenburg came down slower. He's just feeling totally out of this, you know, there's no mountain climbing brotherhood here or sisterhood. He just says, came down slower and with less fire. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ed. And nice to meet Ed. you. John. Right. We appreciate the help, sir. Anything for my old Sid. Get the call, you know, crampons go on. Belay, as it were. Well, let's get you over to Kathmandu. Nice little town. Actually, really the only little town in the area, so... Let's uh, get you. I'm sure you're you're hungry, and I'll show you the hotel where you're going to be put up for a few days until we can get the journey underway. Let's uh, this way, please. Thank you, Ed. He doesn't grab anyone's bags. He just makes his way to the car. Okay. Um. All right. I don't need his help. I should hope not. I've got I've got stuff in there. So you fill up the. It's a generous boot. You fill that up with all of your stuff. Aveline, just as a quick question, are you carrying? The machine gun in a violin case, which was fairly standard back then, or? Oh, yeah. We're going full, like, pulp Mm -hmm. with this. Right. Okay. So it's sort of like a 1930s El Mariachi, where the the bullets eject out the side of the guitar, the the guitar case. It's a Guaneri um, violin case, Mm, yeah. Very nice. All right. So that you keep with you in the car. Uh, Everybody else piles in. He starts it up. It's a, it's a beautiful car for the for the area it's older but it's in really nice shape he drives the uh 11 miles towards Kathmandu. scenery again gorgeous uh nepal has some just magnificent areas 
And Kathmandu sits inside of, you know, around with mountains all over it. And it's August, but you can still see snow off in the distance from the peaks. And uh, he tries to get some more information out of you, Sid, on the drive over. So he says, um, right now, we, uh, Rup Kun never did it before. Know the trek. Uh, know of it. Would have brought you in through India. But unfortunately, the climb to Rup Kun this year is, well, they're not giving any permits and they're not allowing anyone to do it. Uh, guides have been told pretty much to no foreigners into Rupkun this year. So it must be one of those, and he makes some sort of derogatory expression about, you know, of the indigenous people of India and some of their, you know, customs to the many multiple gods that they have. But he, um, he says that's why we ended up having to come this far over into Nepal to make the climb. And when we cross the border, we're just going to have to keep you know, keep on the highlands. No one should bother us, but it's definitely not something we could have done from the Indian side where the climb would have been easier. That's a bummer. Still, I'm sure we'll get it in the end. Oh. Mr. Norton. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Mr. Norton, and you said that it was the local, like the, the local people who said that we can't make this climb or... Every guide we tried to contact... Can't. No, every guide we tried to contact in India with any credible reputation, ma'am, um, said that the government themselves was providing no visas, no no travel into that area this year. Um, it most likely has to do with a the festival. They were all closed-lipped about it, but something's probably going on up there, and it's just the way it is. Sometimes, or it could be a safety reason. Maybe something happened uh, on their side of of the pass, but from Nepal has no such restrictions, so we're going to do it from this side. Longer trek, but no, you know, shouldn't be too much more difficult. A few extra days. All right. Th thank you, Mr. Norton. I, I um couldn't help but notice your pamphlet. Oh, um, you <laughs> is noticed. That, is being... that undone again? <laughs> wow. <Button> up. <laughs> no. Thank you for noticing. Um, well, you've been reading it since you got off the plane. Yes, I've. You know, I made this myself. I'm rather. Um, I was never like um an artsy, like crafty person. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I put a lot of work into this during our downtime in Malta. So she passes out um, pamphlets. I didn't know if lamination was a thing in 1931. No, but, but if it, you know, okay. it, it's really quality paper. Sure. You know, um, she's commissioned an artist for um, the medical diagrams. She passes one out to everybody. And um, okay, everyone, if you, Mr. Norton, you're doing an excellent job driving. Um, everyone, if you could Thank refer you. to the five F's of frostbite, because oh it's going to, because when we get up there, the five F's, it's going to be a little cold. I've instructed all of you to bring proper outer attire. Um, we're all adults here, but I feel the need to go over this. You mean like, because a, the part like a f watch your fucking fingers, wear a fucking flannel. Uh, what, what, what? Mr. Norton, I think you and I are going to get along famously because we're thinking along the same vein. Right. Um, That's excellent. So um, the first F number one, fingers, toes, and nose. Cover these. Cover them. Okay. Fingers, toes, nose. That's good first advice. F. Second right. F, um, uh, if you forget to cover your skin, you're going to get feeling loss in all exposed areas. Fourth F, fluid-filled blisters, if you're lucky. She points to a section of the diagram where the skin has turned pink and it becomes filled with these, like, pussy nodules. And this is what happens if you're lucky. So fluid-filled blisters, kids, if you're lucky. And you're fucked. Tissue death if you're not, everyone. So wear your mittens. Put on your extra pairs of socks. If I see your nose, I'm going to cover it up. And, you know, I, I bought medical shears. I bought medical shears. So I don't want to have to cut off people's, like, toes and appendages. 
I will. Frostbite is no joke. So the four Fs to Frostbite. The climb I thought you said five. five. No, there's four. I was testing you. I was testing you. You paid excellent attention, Aveline. You get a cookie. Thank you. The, the <laughs> climb the climb is only up to about 17, 18, I think it's 17,000 feet. Um, it will get a little bit higher on the approach from the Nepal side, and then we'll settle down to the lake. Uh, it'll be cold in spots. Yeah, frostbite could happen, especially at night. But during the day, the walk should be almost warm. Um, Ed, Norton. Yes. Norton. Yes. You are totally taking the wind out of the sails of my pamphlet. No, no, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's excellent. Uh, oh, here we are, Kathmandu is uh, coming into it right Great. now. So let me. And as you look out your window, uh, depending on where you're sitting in the car, you see Kathmandu. So th- yeah, there's a lot of Asian style architecture with you know the pagoda looks, but multiple levels. Three, most buildings are no more than three stories high. Unless it's a religious significance because of the customs and things of the area. That may go up to a fourth level. But usually the buildings are 30, 35 feet high at the best. The city is pretty busy. Kathmandu is not a a sprawling metropolis in any sense of the word in 1931. But it's definitely, you know, a a city where trade is done. Uh, A lot of tea merchants, vendors come to this area. Uh, A lot of smuggling is done through this part of the country. Through uh, Kathmandu, um, opiates, things of that nature, some of them processed, some of them raw. You get a lot of that. You do have a lot of fur trapping. So the city itself does have a, a an underbelly to it. It's mostly controlled by one or two people. It's, it's not a big, big deal. But um, you get the feeling that probably during the regular time of the year, which would be now, the city would have somewhere between 16 and 18,000 inhabitants. But, you know, Norton's telling you that right now the city is is just swelling. And the reason for this, it's for a festival that happens in August on the 22nd every year in Kathmandu called Indra Jartra. And it is the festival of fertility, the festival of harvest. So they're looking to plant, uh, to harvest up what's been done for the summer, rather, get ready for winter. It's just an all around, we've worked our ass off. It's been a rough, you know, it's always a tough thing to do at this this climate, to live in these conditions. And the city of Kathmandu sort of swells. And it's several days of just, it's a very lighthearted, fun festival. Uh, and it do, But it does get busy. I mean, this they'll easily almost triple the population um, until the, the, you know, the festival ends on the 25th. So he drives you over to Togri Expeditions. And you are immediately, you know, the car pulls in. It's a one-level building, uh, but there's a warehouse attached, so there's definitely, you know, things going on. You see already packs of of um, cloth-wrapped materials and foodstuffs, uh, you know, already being put out and p- cookery being packed into into different types of satchels and sacks. All that stuff is already being done. When you drive in, he says, uh, we should find uh, old Cuthbert inside as well Sid so uh ladies and gentlemen if you want to just come in I'll introduce you to our Sherpa the guide for this trip that you uh have requested and I'll get old Cuffy out here sounds great be good to see old Cuffy again so everybody I guess comes out of the cold I mean out of the car um is anybody gonna mill about look at what's already been chosen and picked for supplies any of that kind of stuff or you're just gonna wait by the car for proper introductions I mean, I'll check the supplies and stuff like climbing gear, weapons. I won't wander too far away from the car. 
Weapons. Bear traps. Weapons. <laughs> at the, at this point, she would like tell Catherine, like, I'm gonna go look at the weaponry, and if she asked the question, she'd be like, We have faced blob monsters, demons, and vampires. Do you really think this will be easy? No, but didn't we bring our own? Like, why would the Sherpas have them? You never know. We could use a pickaxe as a hatchet. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, Aveline, you Someone, walk over. Someone's wound a little tight. Yeah. It's a special yeah. night for Aveline. Uh, Aveline, you walk over, and there is a gentleman there, probably, um, I don't know, early 20s, you would estimate. Uh, definitely looks, you know, of native to the Nepal, you know, this region of Nepal. He's going through some of the boxes, um, kind of opening things up, moving stuff around, uh, sees you approach, and kind of just smiles and nods at you. Just, obviously, he, from appearances, he belongs here, he's working here, and he's just doing what he's doing to get things a little bit more organized in the way for the porters to carry it, trying to sort out weight and stuff like that. I give him the polite nod of i don't know if you speak english but i'm just gonna i point to the stuff and basically gesture i'm gonna have a look at it he smiles kind of crouches down you know and starts digging through one of the bundles takes out a few pans uh reties that one up walks over at you know looks at you kind of motions do you need help is there something you're looking for kind of like smiles at you and r runs his hands wide like of, over all the supplies that are already here and then kind of gives you that look like, are you looking for something or? I, I shake my head. Really, it's a cursory investigation of, oh, do we have enough? He nods, makes a, you know, taps his fingers to his forehead, kind of just salutes you, it's, you know, as a way of saying, of course, you know, please feel free to look. Also makes it known that he's afraid he doesn't speak English. Looking over you or whatever language you speak, he speaks in you know, the language of the area, which I believe is Gurkta, if I'm saying it right. Pardon me if I'm not. Uh, but yeah, so he's totally sweet person, but you have no idea what he's able to get through to you right now in, the, in a, with a language barrier. Are you... Go ahead and make a spot hidden. Uh, regular success. Okay. Nothing... Yeah, you go through glaringly obvious m mistakes. You don't see anything, you know. Food is packed tightly. There's 50-pound sacks of rice. Uh, things that are... The rice is in a very waxy type of bag. Um, they're dipped in some sort of a chemical or, or, or things so that the rice doesn't get wet and spoil. You see, you know, dried meats and uh, flour and stuff for bread. So those are still in the, also in these big, heavy sacks that are that are sewn up by hand and special, you know, waxy-type contain, you know, satchels. So yeah, everything, just by a quick cursory glance, everything appears okay. Then that's all I need to know, and I'm looking at the ice picks and any other sharp objects and going, huh, I can use this. Okay. I, it would be for the RP purposes. Yeah. She'd be picking up all the sharp stuff in front of him and just like nodding at the weight and stuff. Okay. After your fourth or fifth sharp object where you test the weight in a swing, uh, he is starting to get a little uncomfortable. Like, what's a really nice lady coming by here and imaginarily swinging picks and axes into everybody's head. It's kind of like, wow, that's that's intense. Doesn't say anything. He's polite. He has that, you know, Eastern belief of it's your stuff. Do what you want with it. So I'm just here to help. Awesome. All right. What a guy. At the car, a gentleman comes out older, probably in his mid 40s, 
very physically fit. You can tell there's like 1% body fat on this guy. And it's not that Ooh. he's hulkingly cut or anything. He's just, you know, lean, lives that lifestyle where there's not a lot of excess, not a lot of, you know, just overindulgence. It's survive. It's practical. You eat to, you know, you eat to live, not live to eat mentality. And uh, he walks out. And I just want to do a quick disclaimer real quick. I should have done this at the beginning of the show. We're an old-time radio type broadcast from 1930s. We're trying to make it pulpy in a modern, you know, with our modern vernacular the best we can. I in no way, shape, or form mean to be disrespectful. Uh, I am going to do a slight accent for these people to just designate them to a listener who they are. I've done German accents. I've done, uh, you know, all kinds of accents. It's never to be derogatory and it's never to make anyone feel uncomfortable. It's more for theater. And we just, in this group, we have who we have and I have to play about a thousand parts. So please bear with us. We hope no one is overly upset by this. It's just a choice. And we hope that you enjoy the fact that we're trying to make it a little bit more sound authentic to old time radio. So so he comes out and this gentleman walks up and he says, Mr. Poulter, Togri, it's so nice to meet you. Pleasure. Ah, Togri, I, I'd heard, I'd heard I'd get to meet you. It's good to meet you too. Much excited to take this trip um, into the mountains, sir, with you and lovely people. Uh, and he smiles at everybody and he nods and he says, Trek will be a um, little longer than um, Mr. Norton originally may have explained. We have about 240 of your miles uh, to travel, some of it through higher elevations, but very safe this time of year. Should be, should be for the most part, very safe. Well, I'm sure we're in good hands, Togri, and we'll, everything will be fine. Uh, I've never been loath to leave the mountains, so, uh, and I believe Faye's a bit of a climber as well, so we'll just enjoy the fresh air, shall we? He smiles at both Faye and Catherine, not knowing which one Faye is, but he just smiles at the ladies, uh, looks over, and he says something in his native tongue. And uh, the gentleman who's over by Aveline nods and says something back. And he says, Miss Timma asks, have you found what you needed? He's just making sure you have got everything you need. That's for you, Aveline. Yeah. Um, her reply would be, are these sturdy? Like if you used it to punch an ice wall. She's kind of trying to be subtle about it, but she's not very subtle. She's on edge. Aveline, I'm sure their equipment is of excellent condition. All this purchased, miss, all this purchased um, with Mr. Norton and Mr. Cuthbert oversee all these purchases. Uh, I send him to several different vendors, people I know that uh, make gear for me and my family, uh, and he purchased everything. I just getting it organized now so the porters can carry it comfortable, very heavy. Much walking. So I'm just making it as good as we can. That's what Tima is doing. And he's, Tima hears his name, Kaylen, nods to you, to Aveline. Awesome. Thank you. So he says, please, everyone, um, uh, you must be hungry. I've, my wife has put on a pot of some excellent stew uh, and we have some beer. Please come in and we can discuss uh, details of your trip. This way, please. So he leads you inside the expeditionary hall. The building itself inside, he has pictured as an office from a 1930s movie. Um, just, you know, maps hanging on the wall with little tacks in them. Uh, a big old radio with a lot of, you know, of the old tubes and stuff inside. 
uh, that's that's constantly just on with this white noise, just listening in case there's any climber issues or you know they're on different frequencies based on which tour guide is going out with with people. It wasn't uncommon to be trekking through this part of Nepal and. 17, 18,000 feet was a doable climb back then. Uh, you don't need oxygen at that level for the most part, unless somebody suffers an epoxia, which is pretty rare. Um, but, for, you know, so they've, they've gone out a couple of times with, without a problem. Uh, Faye, you're shaking your head. You're going to have an epoxia? Uh, no. I'm... It just, whenever, whenever we say that, it always happens to me. So I I'm don't want to hear that anymore. No, no, no. I've got, I've got listeners now saying it's not me. No, no. <laughs> if you get an epoxy, that's on you. No, no. <laughs> my hands are. I'm punctious pilot. I've washed my hands of the whole thing. All right, they'll learn more. I didn't shoot you. I didn't shoot your father. Do I now need to look up if oxygen tanks were available in 1931? Because now I feel like I should have bought the reason, or packed oxygen. Okay, tank. so no. The reason that you wouldn't have made that no one made this climb sooner than this was because it was an issue. Um, okay. That, so most people don't want to go up. I mean, no man had made the top of Everest. Uh, no European had done it yet. Now they even claim, I believe, that the guy who went up with Edward, uh, with Hillary, Edmund Hillary, was also the first Sherpa to do it. I don't know if that's true. But you're not going to twenty-eight thousand feet. You're going to eighteen. That's a big difference. That's two miles. It's a big difference. So yeah, this should be. It's going to be a walk, and it's going to be exhausting at times, but it's not going to be up the southern face and across the, you know, the glacier path and everything like that. So, all right. So, yeah, he brings you in. Uh, he walks you through the office part in the front of the building. There's a door that, an old door that opens up in the back, and that's where uh, he has some living quarters, and his wife is there. She's got this little makeshift kitchen with wood fire cooking inside of it. She sees you. She greets everyone, doesn't speak the, the language. But she's already got places out and everything. Um, Cuffy is sitting there already with Norton. And uh, they're discussing something, Sid, over a map they're looking at. And um, he's like, Oh, Polter! So good to see you, dog. Been a long time. Happy to be with you on this, though. Nice jaunt. Ed told me that uh, you had made it in safe. Good flight. Good flight. And I go in for uh, a bear hug. Kind of give him a big bear hug. Uh, it's been a long time. It's good to see you, mates, again. Be nice to climb with you again. Should be a should be a routine one if everything goes the way we planned, which is always good for the books. Um, bringing the camera, if that's all right. Uh, I don't have a problem. Uh, does anyone else here have a problem? No. What's not necessarily? What's the purpose of the camera, sir? Nah, never been to Rup Kund. Like to take photos. Mm. Picture, and he shows you the picture that you have already seen. Um, of the climbers, he said, Sid, nice enough to pop this one off with the old Browning, but, um, yeah, I like to document treks and trips, sort of, uh, put it in the scrapbook, if you will, for, for the kids when, and if I ever have them, and he laughs. Sir, have you considered pamphlet making? Oh, I tried it in the past, but never really worked for me. I've uh, probably used the wrong paper. I really recommend, <laughs> I found this cardstock in Malta. It is, I, I mean, I, it'd be a hell of a thing to import it i'm sure but i, I digress he takes um, out the camera I, and he asks you to stand there with the pamphlet and he i'm so chuffed <laughs> takes a shot of you sitting there with the pamphlet now the strange thing about this photograph after he develops it because he does have a dark room back at the hotel in a little closet he has is there's somebody 
is standing behind you. Um, oh, it looks to be a woman, and she's trying to choke you in the photo. And you, it, when it, on closer inspection, it appears to be Faye. So we're just going to leave that like that. It's just some spirit photography, maybe a projection thing. We're not sure what happened. But yeah, we'll we'll go more into that photograph. <laughs> Wait, Emotional what? torment. Kate, it's our first photo together. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's me going, mention that cardstock from Malta one more goddamn time. I dare you. Wow. I'm very proud of my of my arts and crafts project, okay? Right. I'm so happy that you have a hobby. No, no you're not. You know, Padre printing. I, 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 I am part nasty. Asked the gentleman, I'm like, you know, sir, if I, if I could, would you mind taking a picture of our group here? Just oh. realized we've never had our picture taken together. I would, I'd be honored. Would you? We could do it right after dinner. This uh, beautiful young lady has been cooking all day. If, if that's all right, I'll get the camera Sounds set up wonderful. outside, and we'll, we'll catch some of the beauty of Katmandu in the background. Awesome. And let's all get a few beers in everyone so we all can act like we like one another again. <laughs> Aveline, I think, looks over when you said L- act like we all like each other and kind of, huh, okay, I get it. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you sit down. I'm sorry. It's not that, you know, every single time we turn around allies are betraying us or doing stupid things and you know members of my own group run head first into danger and we lost a civilian you know that let it not- go let it go sing i will it. never let it go sing it let it go let it, let it go, go. Let Not it even go. i was talking about you i'm talking about everybody in this damn group running head first hmm. to danger who could that be there's only everybody. one everybody there is only one dumbass in this group, and her name is Faye Elizabeth Dawson. So he looks at you, John. Faye uh, the Ram Dawson. He says, you want a picture of this group? <laughs> this particular Call group. Call me crazy. Yeah. Wow. So the we beer really is, do love each other. The beer is poured. It's very, very dark. Um, the bread is very, very heavy. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of rising agents that's just very thick. Probably something uh, like a pumpernickel, but, you know, de- definitely a darker, like heavier, high-altitude wheat. Very coarse. Uh, it's tasty, but it is something that it's just a different vibe than you're used to. She pours stew like a out. non bread or something. Huh? Yeah, like, yeah, but, yeah, dense. Yeah, because in Kathmandu, there are supplies. I mean, you can get them, but everything's very expensive. But the beer, they, they actually brew it themselves. Uh, Togri actually says to you, you know, this is, this is made in our cellar. You know, we fermented ourselves. We hope you enjoy it. It's, it's, you know, we share it all with people that go out on treks with us. Uh, it's sort of our way of blessing and having a good time. So John raises a toast to the host and yes. thanks him for the meal. And he, absolutely. The, uh, Togri says, my wife, Chorky, uh, she made the meal and he smiles and he tells them that everyone's toasting her and thanking her. She, you know, she nods and smiles. She's very pleasant, uh, just very dutiful doing the things she needs to do to keep, you know, everyone eating and having a good... That This is part of what you pay for when you hire them is before you go out, they take care of you, you know, they make sure everybody's fed and because it's going to be lean days sometimes on a trek. So they want to make sure that you're eating and, and comfortable. So Sid... Cuffy leans in with the map, and uh, he says, So, run into a little bit of a spruce. It seems our friend Torgi here and his wife have been unable to um, 
have a male child. And he's saying this very quiet. Uh, and he's looking at the map, trying to make it look like he's showing you different destinations as everyone's finishing dinner and chatting. And, you know, some of the other chirp of the guide, the young guides are coming in and they're just having a small amount of food and rice. Mm-hmm. So people are milling. It's, it's busy. It's probably like 20, 25 people going in and out at different times, doing work, fixing things. And he says, uh, the um, this festival of Indra Jatra is... Um, rather important to her so she has told him he cannot begin the trek until the 25th which isn't the worst thing in the world we'll still be up there well before the frosts freeze over the lake i know you said you were hoping to get there when the lake was still fluid it will be it's fluid for about six weeks but we'll be there at midpoint he's apologized profusely but there are certain customs, and a p- priest comes into the village, into Kathmandu from the mountains, who they claim has a very gifted touch when it comes to birthing male children, if you get my drift, Sid. Yeah, I get your meaning. Let me, let me, um, let me pass it amongst my, my crew, and I'll, I'll let you know if we have any problems with it. It's no problem for me, but, I, you know, I'm only one part of this ragtag rabble, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure this is... He says, I don't really think this is about money. Uh, Norton goes, it's not about money. The lady's just sad because she can't have a son right now. And it's, you know, she's getting a little up there in years for her. And uh, these people value, you know, strong sons to help them with the carrying and the porter ships. And it's, it's normal. This is a... It's just something that happened. We just got caught in a nine-day hold. As, you know, in grand scheme of things, it shouldn't be that big of an issue. Torgy's a good man. No, no, I get it. And I totally understand progeny and all that. But uh, I just, you know, I need to discuss it with, with me mates. Um, I, I don't think it's a problem, like I said, but I can't speak for all of them until we speak together. Of course. So the dinner goes by again. Rather, it's really just great times. The, the beer is strong. So everybody make me, well, let's do it this way. How happy are you all getting? Um, Quite. <laughs> excellent. So I'm getting super happy. So super happy would be four beers? Yeah, about. And also, Faye's really tiny, too. So So you really want me to boost up how alcoholically drunk you are? We'll say she does like three, three and a half. Okay. Don't you have a heck of a constitution, Faye? Oh, no, no. That's can't. That's can't. Hello. No. I want to yeah. see um, my con. Catherine's trying to Gimli it. I'm a 95. <laughs> And, you know, Catherine's on. Dear listeners, imagine the scene in Lord of the Rings where Legolas goes, I feel a tingling in my finger. Let's be affecting me. I want to get to Gimli status because that's not something that happens easily to Catherine. So Togri isn't a super drinker, but Poggle, one of his head porters, can be. Are you talking about a drinking competition? Because Poggle will definitely... Drop. We could easily Indiana Jones this with the scene in the bar, you know, in Nepal. We can recreate that for you if you'd like to go toe-to-toe with him. Let's do this. I think that would be so much fun. Okay, so after... I think it's got to it's gotta happen. <laughs> Bring it. All righty. So we're going to go with everybody just... You, you sip yours through dinner. You drink a little bit. You're fine. The conversation turns and... Sure enough, it is a test of, you know, endurance and strength and fun. So somehow Togri says, 
to the group. Um, he says, the beer is good. Yes. T tasty. Yes. Most excellent, yeah. my friend. Indeed. Best I've ever had. We are not climbing tomorrow. We have some fun, if you wish. We have a porter in our group who enjoys my beer very much. He's always looking to see if he can outdrink people from the West. Would anyone like to just have some fun with this? I we have had a good good brewing harvest this time. We we have plenty of beer. Would anybody be interested in drinking with against Pogel? Hell yes! Bring the little fella out. I'm gonna take Pogel on. This Face is gonna be great. Slams her hand down on the table and she's like, "Bring me Pogel." <laughs> Face trying to out drink him too. She wants to get. She wants to have fun. This picture is going to look so good. Let it be known, Aveline is staying out of the competition. She will be Aragorn in this Lord of the Rings metaphor in the corner. One beer. Yeah, John's not a drinker. He had a beer to be kind and, <laughs> you know, be... polite to the host. But uh, he's Oh, you and I can go play beer. some blackjack. How I'll about die face first in that barrel of booze. <laughs> all right, so the three of you sit down. Poggle sits down. They invite all the porters in, and they start... Bu just bantering wildly amongst each other. Pogel has not entered the room yet. Um, Pogel is still... They're fetching Pogel. Like, he had been working on something. They're getting him. Everybody's just gathered around the table. Uh, Chogri, uh, Chorgi is putting out, uh, you know, other little knickknacks and snacks. Some high-altitude uh, nut of some kind that grows in the area for people to snack on. Not lychee nuts or anything, but something, you know, that works in that, that part of the world. All of a sudden, yeah, this guy comes in. He's about five foot four, five five four, late twenties, broad shouldered. I mean, he's pretty stockily built. Mm -hmm. Definitely looks like somebody who can you know handle himself. And he walks in and he smiles and he says something and everyone starts cheering and they're throwing money back and forth and yelling. And uh, they he sits down and Togri brings out glasses and he says, "So everyone," and he tells you it's going to be one coin of their local currency. And they all throw a coin in. Pogel, throw, Pogel throws a coin in. You guys match it. That's fine. And there's three of you drinking? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So these rolls we're going to do on roll 20 because that's just where we're going to do them. So you're going to go to the rolling. You're going to do a D100 at a time. Catherine, what's your constitution? 95. Faye? 60. Constitution is a 45. Is a what? 45? 45. Okay, I have a feeling, Sid, you may be the first to the floor, but we'll see what happens. I can't wait for uh, Catherine and I to swing All right, so Sid over our shoulders and carry him out of here. There's a cheer that, that rouses up through all this. Uh, it's it's a camaraderie thing. Everyone's having a good time. They did snap a picture. We'll say that you know, um, Cuffy did was able to get a snapshot before this all happened. John, just to make sure that you guys have that for posterity. He says he'll develop it for you and before we go up on the mountains. And it's ho-ho-ha! And when they say ha, everyone drinks. So we're going to say ho-ho-ha in a second. Everybody roll at the same time for me. D100. And you're looking to go under, eat match, or go under your constitution. Ready? So the, the locals, ho-ho-ha! Faye, no. Sid, yes. Catherine, yes. So, Faye, you really enjoyed yourself more than you thought at dinner. So... <laughs> You, you're kind of bear. beer. It makes sense. I, she's tiny. I kind of put my glass down, realize I've had a little bit too much, and I call on, on over, over here. Please help me. 
<laughs> John is there at a moment's notice. Just don't throw Thank up on my you. suit. Thank you. The always you reliable are, John. You are my favorite John in the world. True, true. And Poggle, Boy, truer words have never been spoken. Nice. Poggle rolled okay. All right. So this time you're going to roll con minus 10%. And 10%. Yes, it's only 7% for Pogel per time because he's used to this particular alcohol. You are right. lowering ten, minus 10. So if you're a 95, you now need an 85 or less. Sid, you're on a 35. So ho, ho, coins go into the middle. Ho, ho, ha! Everyone shouts. And Sid falls off the chair. Catherine burps and kind of just <laughs> giggles. Get one went down so much smoother. Pogel. I, be I believe I've done a willy. Polga made it just barely either way, so I rolled a 63 and a 64. What are the freaking odds in roll 20 that I roll? John, you've seen me do this. How many times have I rolled like shit the same number? Oh, one, one, one. In our D&D campaign, a 63 and a 64? What are the odds it'd be that close? I swear there's a problem with this algorithm. All right, so Puggle downs his as well. Sid, you're carried out by several smaller men. You a pic a photo is taken. Cuffy can't help point. but they lean you up against the wall with a sack of grain and they unshape your mustache. <laughs> right. They take they take it and they put it out really straight. They take one end, put it up your nose, they take a shot like that. So they do everything that guys do when you really don't want like as Sam Kinison said, Oh, thanks, friends. You took advantage of me when I was totally helpless. <laughs> what thank God you were here. <laughs> So, so we embody the Sam Kinison moment, and they, they do some funny shots with you while the rest of it. So Catherine, Pogo yep. looks at you, and he throws five coins in, and all the porters are like, whoa, and money is flipping back and forth. Togri's like, he's he's saying, you will definitely go down this time, miss. This will be the time you fall. And I would like to say to this fine man, let's go. <laughs> Not today. What do we say to the dark beer? Not today. Okay, Catherine, wow. you are minus 20. Pogel yes, is minus I am. 14. He is rolling. Come on, mama. Catherine. No! Oh, 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 oh my god! She splits the chair. <laughs> wow, I puke on Pogel. That's a hundred. I puke Listeners, 100. Pogel. Projectile vomiting. I think that means like a five-day hangover. Well, <laughs> oh my lord! So wow, that literally couldn't have gone any worse. That was so funny. Pogel started with a seventy-four, a seventy-five. He's minus fourteen, so he needed a sixty-one or less, and he rolled a sixty. Um, so Pogel was really close himself to not making it. However, Chorgi is a little bit concerned when you're outside trying to take your clothes off because you're hot. And nudity in Kathmandu really isn't such a good thing for these people. They they tend to be a little bit more conservative. But you keep screaming something about Langford, that son of a bitch. I'm going to show him what he's missing. This is what you gave up, Matthew. You're screaming at the top of your lungs oh. to the great mountains. That's why, you know, that's why it'll only be bitches from now on. I'll show you. You give the whole you know, rhetoric that you've been talking about off on mic and off mic for Catherine. And uh, she wraps you up in a very heavy blanket. She nods. She understands. She says something. And as you're being brought back inside, trying to calm her down, Torky, the guide, his wife carrying you in, helping you in, said, this happened to her once too. She, she understands. She, and he's laughing. She also was screaming something about Matthew, but I don't know who Matthew is, but that's okay. You know, 
if that's that's interesting if your wife is <laughs> she's so pretty like she's really just she's really pretty you know i'm really i think hey hey everyone thinks i'm a spinster sir no no i just flowers under bushels you know that metaphor all that yeah got called a wallflower once that was fun <laughs> um who it's hot is it hot i really well yes it was just, hot but you're... i need i just need to be free yeah um so Pogle walks up to you as you're walking past, and he lightly just taps your cheek like, yeah, you're a lightweight, looks at the money in his hand and walks out. Um, he doesn't know that you catastrophically failed. He just knows you failed um, and that you tried to take off your clothes and run to the mountains. Listen, Pogle, if people had didn't appreciate it, <laughs> no one appreciates it. Right. I'll see you tomorrow night, bitch. <laughs> Come to Mama Langford. Very nice. Sit. My harsh exterior <laughs> masks a soft marshmallowy center. <clears throat> Very good. Oh gosh, that was funny. All right. <laughs> so Sid, you want to bring up this conversation about that the the expedition can leave on the morning of the twenty sixth because from the twenty second to the twenty fifth, this festival's in in progress. Well, are we and doing it that night when everybody's slamming drunk, or are we doing it in the morning? You tell me. Whenever you want to approach the subject. Oh God. Um, I think probably, unfortunately, the funnier of the two would be to do it while I'm slamming drunk. Okay. Um, no inhibitions. So, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, let me tell you I, something. They're, I guess they're all sitting, I guess, by a fire or yeah, whatever. Now no, the, not Everyone's by the kind fire. of gone outside to watch Catherine relieve herself of her entire dinner. She's just vomiting off in the corner. There's a fire outside. The men are gathered around. They're smoking. Um, you know, the women are kind of, they're just cleaning up. Not you women, but the locals are just putting the, you know, cleaning up after dinner, washing everything. And then right. some of them go out back and smoke. Uh, it's not uncommon in, you know, for in certain, especially in higher customs of elevations and stuff to, for people to not have those same Western hangups. So the ladies, they, they talk amongst themselves though, and nobody can understand them because you don't speak the language, but uh, they're laughing and joking around and doing what, you know, talking the way women talk. But um, your group is over by the supplies, and there's, like I said, there's a fire in the yard. So yeah, there's there's plenty of places you can get some privacy to talk. All right, so I sort of wander towards them, and I and I'm like, hey, mates, mates, this way, this way, to the side, past past the supplies, where we can have a private chat. Good. Just us mice, you know. You keep it down. Keep it down. Don't make a scene. I wouldn't tell a soul, Sydney. You know me. That I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't, love. She's really? a good one. That when she's oh, everyone over here, nice and quiet. Someone really hot. Put the clothes on. No, it's John, really hot. John looks over at Aveline and rolls his eyes. <laughs> I know. It is. So, I know. Does anyone have a cigarette? It's just really. It's really hot. What the hell are you doing? Smoking a drink, right? <laughs> what? A doctor. So, you don't smoke. Yeah, I do so many. It's the horrors of the war. John she pulls out a cigarette case and uh, and uh, offers Catherine a cigarette. She's a crazy one, my honey bunch. She is. She taps. She taps John on the cheek, and says, "I love you," and takes the cigarette. <laughs> John in his best hand solo says, "I know." <laughs> Yes! I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you a too. secret. I love you too, John. That, one there, that crazy woman. I, I ain't marrying no one. But if I was to, might be that crazy one. Now, come on. Come on. 
you guys, you lot over here, quiet now, no noise. Which, no one, noise. which, which one does he motion yet? towards as the crazy one? I have no idea. It which could one? be either. That, my hand is like up in the air. My hand is like up in the air. I was engaged to him once. It might have been fake, but it still counts. You know, she um, broke my heart, faded, broke my heart, left me at the altar. I. All right. It wasn't so let's. To be. So, Sid, you're able to get everybody so Sid, over to the, the, the side. I get them all you over. Want to do in part? Yeah. Everybody I gets say, over right, there. Listen, here's the deal. We mm. can't leave until the twenty fifth. But it's like keeper. What's the day's date? Uh you land. You have arrived on the sixteenth. That's okay, so like ten days. days away. That's a it's long like a, time. I know. It's a secret. Now, why it's can't a secret. we leave, Sid? What, why? All right, come in closer. And I get far too close. <laughs> Professor Schooley. And I'm like... As he gets closer, I get further away. <laughs> oh, that's going to take an hour. All right, you're in the middle the of Kathmandu with John backing up and Sid leaning in yeah. every few steps. I'm like, it's a fertility. It's a fertility festival. We have, a, we have a situation, a situation, if you will, where one man needs to help one woman. And so we need to facilitate, if we can, so that he can and she can and then we can go. I'm done with sex rituals. I'm, that's that's I'm pretty clear, open. right? And we all get that now? I said I'd talk to you because I don't speak for the group. I just speak for all Sid. But having said that... Are we all clear now? Is it is it obvious? No. Um. Who's Sid, shaking? You, you want to have a child, Sid? I I, I start making the coochie coochie movements with the body. Not me. I... Not me. Another. Another. You know, if there was ever a moment for this to be a video show, it was that. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was like that was full body acting right there. Yeah. Uh, I personally like the uh, the hand gestures, you know. Uh, definitely drove the point home. Describe <laughs> it for viewers and Aveline, who does not have video capabilities. He's doing. I, the, I, he's doing the monster match. I do the ace. The, the ace Ventura. I do the yeah. ace Ventura. Can you feel it? Can you? Huh? Huh? Oh no! <laughs> oh my lord! So so, so I, 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 I try to clarify, and I say. We have a member of our extended party who needs to take advantage of the festival and oh. must use the festival to help a situation. Is it? There, is I it think Togri? I've done it. So he can't. Is, is so he can't. Woo! So it's like. Well, I don't. I don't know, but it, it's not Poggle. <laughs> oh. It's not Poggle. And, I'll and say as that. I understand it, Togri's pretty uh, pretty crucial to our mission, correct? Yeah, we can't go anywhere without him. Yes. Yeah, I'm I think it's the name. You're on the side of the nose. You know? So we need to give uh, Togri and his wife some privacy for the next a bit of room. Nine a bit days. of room. You've got it. You've got oh, it. Oh, but they're so Eight nice. Months. Where are we going to well, stay? Where are we yeah, going to yeah. eat? I don't think I want to yeah, stay we... here. I'm just saying. <laughs> What? Here's lovely. Anymore. All these oh, nice no, no, no. people. Not not here at Togri's. He's going to be a little busy. It sounds like. Oh, well, the festival, yeah. the festival is uh, a nothing blessing. I haven't seen before. Yeah, you know. I think overstaying. Aveline should have a that. word to say if she could hook us up with a place to sleep. 
because I noticed that she had made some strong inroads with that non-English speaker. You mean the one that needs to have the sex ritual? No, he's talking no. about Simo. The boy oh, with Simo. the boxes, dear. I, I, he doesn't I don't speak know. English. <clears throat> well, before this gets away from us, the idea is, is that you have a hotel. It's not okay. far from here. Yeah, this is the porters sleep here. His family stays here. Uh, but yeah, you'll have a hotel, and I'll bring that up for you right now. It's called Dalsha. It's um, oh nice. It's in Kathmandu. Oh, there. So yeah, there's there's rooms. These are rooms, and I don't want to make this sound like it's less than acceptable. But you are on expedition. This is not the Ritz. This is not you know the hotel in London. This isn't the the Excelsior or the Regency. This is a place that allows backpackers and mountaineers uh, yes. to. You know, a place to stay. It's clean, but it's military type we're, bedding. We're a bit off the uh, beaten path here. Yeah. No trouser press. Yeah. No trouser press. Basic. No room service unless you carry it in. <laughs> I'm eating in my room. Okay, room service. Uh, <laughs> I shall be in my quarters with this bowl of mush of from yak. the um, yeah. of yak. Yeah. So, yeah. Th so that's pretty much. Just understand. You know. You're going to be in, in quarters that are, like I said, clean. Um, these people are very much about cleanliness. They're not, you know, you're not going to be like in some third part of the world where nothing can be kept the way it needs to be because they don't have the infrastructure with cleaning supplies and all that stuff. This is this is a beautiful area, It's it, and the rooms, are, the rooms are functional. You'll have a wash basin for the morning, but, you know, there's only one bathroom in the whole, you know, for like eight or ten rooms. So it's taking turns. It, it's it's continental living, and it's deep in the continent. So just be patient with that kind of you know that background. So if everyone's in agreement that you're going to be here for a few days, you're going to be able to have a chance to learn a little bit about Kathmandu, uh, meet meet all the porters, talk to the gentleman, talk to Togri about the route, what you can expect, what you can anticipate, check your supplies, and we'll just we're just going to make generalized roles for this stuff. Uh, I'm not looking to not include things you need. These are professional guides. They know the things you're going to need. But if you want to check it over, that's fine. I just want to make sure everybody's good with the nine-day the nine day wait. You you can try to leave without Togri and ask one of the other Sherpas if they can guide you. There is one in here that would be, you know, his second man would go. But as a family, they prefer to kind of work together, and he's their leader. So... I would rather, personally, I would rather everyone be in the best of spirits as a unit going up together. Okay. Yeah. And taking the most so experienced too. people leading us. So absolutely, yep. wait. Right. His second yeah. climber. Um, I'm in agreement. Okay, good. That's, mm -hmm. um, his second climber is uh, Shargis. Shargis could do it um, and would offer if you guys were going to cancel on them. Like, we're going, we don't forget it, we're canceling. They would never want to lose the business. Um, but. Togri's made this promise and he feels he has to keep it. So uh, it'll be the nine day pause and the festival happened and it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. So let's go through Is it with like Kathmandu carnival. It, well, <laughs> you see the streets that I've shown you in the, in the picture called Kathmandu, right? Let mm -hmm. me show you what it looks like in 1931 captured by a man who was at the Indra Jartra festival. That's how much busier the city gets. Oh, cool. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. This wow, is everyone. <laughs> yeah. It's hot float. in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, definitely. A some sort of a procession. It, yeah. it literally does triple in size. And this festival is super, super important to the locals. 
so you're actually seeing something that a lot of people in the West never really get a chance to experience. It's it's as rare as climbing a peak at twenty five thousand feet. It's it's this is pretty amazing. And stuff. and Sid had mentioned that it was a fertility festival, right? Well, it's it's a festival for all th- things that have that are birthed, uh, food, the yaks. It's basically the the end of the season going into winter. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of fertility elements. We're not talking about like stuff in Japan where they're dancing around with phalluses everywhere. But so, so John is almost like in you know I know everybody's in agreement to stay, but he is like excited to stay. Okay, you know to to you know fertility harvest festivals. You know these are such a core of cultures around the world, and to right. be able to observe you know a fairly remote cultures you know festivals of this nature, he's he's ecstatic for the opportunity. Yeah, Catherine? I'm sure. I'm sure the beautiful, suave, charismatic ladies' man John Schooley is especially interested in the fertility festival. Yes, that does make sense. You know, remember John has not been uh, over the last month or so. As no, no more than that. We were in Malta for a month. For the last couple of months, John has has seemingly not been kind of taking care of himself as much. You might have noticed in Malta that he seemed to only bathe a couple of times. He was very focused on what he was doing, and other things kind of fall by the wayside. So we need His to make a is... we need to make a new pamphlet. Um, <laughs> hygiene and you. Hygiene. <laughs> His hair is getting rather long. His beard is is kind of scruffy and looking a bit matted. Seeing a friend's father gunned down in his prime tends to draw, drive people a little bit to the edge. <laughs> John, not so fresh, schoolie. Very nice, Sid. You're on fire tonight. Um, Sid... <laughs> when jo- when Joel doesn't have a bad day at work and he's fully fully aware, it's uh, it's a whole new show for us here at Cthulhu and Cairo. It tends to get a little. What bit... a fun episode! <laughs> what a great episode, everybody. Um, so we'll go through. If anybody's looking to do anything specific before the twenty second, when the festival starts, let me know. Um, I know it's a short notice. You, it's really more about talking to people, meeting people, talking about the the trek itself. If you want to be part of the trek conversation, I'll give you the overview. When Sid gets that, that's probably what he's going to be doing. But if you're looking to go around and and explore spices and different foods and all that stuff. Just let me know, and we'll kind of just go through that real quick. There is communications to the outside world. Um, there is a telegraph office in Kathmandu. It is it. The wires go down quite a bit, but they do send trekkers out to fix it. Uh, and right now, it is working. So anybody who needs to get um, anything back to the main, you know, to the to Europe or any kind of conversations they needed to have, that could happen. So we'll start. Sid, you're just going. So someone put. Yeah, you're going up for the bo- the Lake of Bones. One of the things in the prophecy was that you needed a, a, a piece, one of the bones from this particular lake called the Lake of the Dead or Rupkund in, okay. on the Indian side uh, of, the, of this part of the mountains. All right. So, Sid, you're just going to be involved in, I would assume, the expedition pro- progress and, and preparation, right? Yes, and I, and I think also what Sid might do is, having climbed before, um, that he has an interest in their in their cultures and stuff. So I'll probably partake a little bit in some of their cultures or their religious stuff okay. uh, while I'm there to sort of to sort of um, you know to reacquaint myself with the population, so to speak. Yeah, not every climb you've made has been in Asia, uh, but go ahead and give me a history roll. History. Oh wow, that's a horrible. I have a five in history. Let me see. Ooh. There is almost no chance of that happening. Catherine blew her, her nope. She has a ninety-five and she messed up her, her constitution roll. Yeah. So you could have rolled that. that. 
That was a bad miss. 39. A bad miss. All right. Um, So you and Cuffy are starting to talk. Uh, They, he says to you, you know, did you, uh, don't forget, Sid, we're going to have to um, bring some of those prayer flags just to make sure we have that all set up. Some of the chirpers won't actually go with the final miles without it, especially if they're crossing over into India. Right. I remember bad blood and all that and uh, superstition. We'll We'll bring the flags. There's several spots along the way where we're going to have to pause for a short period of time while prayers are said. Um, One of them is probably the way Torgri's got it laid out. It'll be a full night because that is actually at the border between the two countries. And they they tend to take that moment to really reflect on the climb and kind of get a feel of the earth, as it were. Once we get through the Mahbatra range and cross, that'll be the hardest part of the trek on the Nepal side, and it'll get a little bit up to about 18,000 feet. He says, but uh, after that, it's a downward slope into India and then back into the crests again. There's some glacial ice, but for the most part, it's just uphill climbing. So, Sid, <laughs> he, he gives you those specifics, tells you that, you know, there is there is part of a glacial sheet that you'll be crossing, but it's, it's definitely a track that's doable. A gentleman comes in. Is anybody else just doing climbing preparations, by the way? Or does everybody else have a little something they want to do specifically? In town? Like over the next nine days? over the next couple of days. Would you mostly be hanging around the camp of Togri's expeditions? Or or everybody else kind of going about doing their thing? I would want... Go ahead, Aveline. I would want to go and, like, did I have... Did I get any information on the local underground crime or anything? That not, could help me in this I mean, area. you could find a name while in Kathmandu, but your contacts don't reach into Nepal right now. You you don't have that big of a network. And mm-hmm. the Cobalt okay. Club doesn't have any presence in this part of the world. So not this country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does it mean you can't try to do it on your own if you're looking for specific things or you want to just make contact? That's something, you know, you just keep in the back. We'll, you know, we'll go through that. All right. Is anybody- I, just, I just want to know if anybody's like poking around the festival or like asking about why all these white people are all of a sudden in Nepal. No, there's people in this in Kathmandu, Westerners all the time. You're not foreign. And some people speak the language like the one, the, the, the man who owns the Dalsha Hotel. He speaks English. It, it's okay. it's not that you're uncommon. You're not rare. You know, maybe 100, 200 a year will, you know, of Europeans would hit Nepal. Probably not even that many, maybe more like 100, 120. So it's uncommon, but it's not like, oh my God, I've never seen, you know, it's been 10 years, we've never seen a white person. No, that's not, that's, yeah. Yeah, people were already trying to climb the Himalayas. Oh, yeah. The planes um, made that, planes made those remote places no not very remote anymore. I mean, fly, you know, planes would land once a week and pilots of all different nationalities, depending on where they were based, would be flying. So you're going to go do that. That's all that's I fine. could think of. Yep. Yeah. Faye, Catherine. John. John, anybody yep. just staying at the expedition hall? John would inquire if um, he he saw some of the local temples and mm-hmm. is familiar with the, you know, largely, uh, you know, some some form of uh, Buddhism that is practiced in this area. And he would inquire if if other people are welcome to go to the temples for meditation. Okay, so you're going to do that kind of religious stuff, Catherine. Yep. Um, I want to make it like very. Catherine's going to make it her goal to become good friends with all of the the Sherpas and the people on the team. Okay. So every night, like, drinking games and eating with them, having a smoke. Like, I really, I need to befriend these guys, mm-hmm. and I want to... So you're going to go in out... In a crisis, 
Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go out and buy really good tobacco. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll take that's a good good way of doing it. Buying like cure a, like a, a more expensive rare meat like a delicacy from one of the stalls and bringing that back. You know, like in Italy, it'd be like you know prosciutto something like that. Yeah. They, they have like a salted ram from a certain part of the country. Anything that's going to bring you know certain fruits like you know cherries or something that's pretty exotic. If you want to do that, we'll say you go out during the day and you find a couple mm-hmm. of these items and you you make friends at night and sh- they start with interpreters. They start sharing stories with you, but that's so you hang around the market stalls and mostly the expedition hall for the the yeah. the better part of the days as they go by. Okay, you Faye. know, sending mess send a few messages back home, but nothing. Okay, like that's it. And Faye, are you doing anything specific in town, or are you again you're staying around the expedition hall? Are you are you wandering around, walking and taking in the sights? Just as a generalization, so I know where everybody yeah. kind of. So I'm I'm walking around and taking in the sites, but I'm also using this extra time to kind of reconnect with everyone. Okay. Because she's been at just a total, you know, bare minimum speaking, just really keeping to herself. So she's trying to just, she realizes that they're about to go on another really crazy adventure and she needs to be connected with them again, especially Catherine. Okay. So she's kind of using that time to spend it with everyone and talk more openly. All right. Sid looks like he walked away. So, yeah, John, they, they practice, um, I guess it's called Indra, is one of their major deities of the area, which Indra Jartra is Festival of Indra. And Indra is this this presence in the mountains. Oh, so they're more they're more Hindian or yes. some similar to, to Hinduism in yes. this area then. Okay, gotcha. from, again, from the ignorance of what I've read through Google. Um, Understood. <laughs> I, and, and I know like, like Tibetan monks have like their own form. Um, it's, you know, like a unique form of faith and worship there. So. Right. Um, cool. Which is what would, you know, both John has that sort of anthropological historian look going at it, but then also this, you know, this flavor of, you know, he's just trying to gobble up any form of practice that he can witness. Yeah. The getting ready for the, uh, the Indra Jartra, Jartra is, you're 100% right. These magnificent floats are built and then they're burned at the end. So they put all kinds of offerings. Women are weaving high mountain flowers. It's all about showing that there has been a plentiful time and thanking Indra for just the bounty of what happens. So each part of, you know, the different little neighborhoods of Kathmandu, they all kind of put these floats, these palanquins is a better term than float because they're not really rolling on the ground. They're kind of carried up on people's shoulders and stuff. Uh, so yeah, that that's going on. And you do, you start to get a feel for the locals and uh, you meet every once in a while someone who speaks, you know, English enough where they tell you a little bit about the festival and why it's so valuable and, you know, people come from so many miles. So yeah, you get that going. Uh, Sid and Catherine, you're, it's day two that since you've been there. So it's now going to be the 18th. This is about where everybody else is starting to kind of settle into their routines. This has been a, a real change in, in time shift. As well, you're several hours ahead, and by I mean jet lag back then, I'm sure was exhausting just because of the amount of time you're in the air and how long it took to cross these zones. But it's the 18th now, so you've been here for several days, and finally uh, another European uh, comes through the door. And Sid, you're there with Cuffy and Norton. Catherine is is talking through Togri to his wife, talking about fertility issues. Catherine decided to 
step forward and say, okay, listen, I'm a medicine person. Let me, you know, let me see if there's something I can help you with. Is, is there, you know, tell me about things about you, what your diet is, you know, are you eating, you know, this, are you eating healthy this way? Are you getting enough potassium? Are you... So she's kind of going through the rudimentary parts of biology that would have been dealt with fertility back in the 1930s. Because in the 1930s, if you didn't have children, you just didn't have children. There wasn't a lot of research yet, but there's enough things where they could say, listen, you could have a medical condition, but let, let me hear about your cycles and this and that. So Catherine's doing that off in the corner and Togri is so thankful. He's embarrassed a little bit, but he's warmed up to Catherine and from the drinking and all this other stuff. And this gentleman comes in and walks up and he says, good evening, uh, good afternoon, uh, Victor Reese, um, I'm here, I believe, at your summons, sir. Just got in. Sorry for the delay. Had some bad weather coming out of out of China, wouldn't you know? Um, I'm the and Cuffy says, "Oh, the doctor. Thank you for coming. Oh, so good to, of you to make it this far." And he's like, "Well, I've um, I've worked with Master Togri uh, twice in at high altitude, sir, and um, I was." Very, it was a very generous offer to bring me here. I thank you so much for the uh, promise of funds. It'll do much for the hospital that I'm trying to set up in uh, in China. So he's he's introduced to you, Sid, and his name is Doctor Victor. And it's I'm sorry, it's Priest with a P, Doctor Priest. And he's going to be he's done some high altitude climbing himself. They didn't know that you had a med medical person on the team. There was no real introductions through the wires, so they assumed we were going to need a doctor. And they called this guy over, and that's part of the expenses, is to bring him in. He flew in, and he's going to help. You know, he's offered his services, and they they required him, and they reached out to him. So he's here. You got mm -hmm. him. Okay. Um, is Catherine around? Yeah, she's she's about 40 feet away from the table, 30 feet from the table. They're talking. She's at, sitting on, like, a crate talking to... Uh, to Chorgi and oh no, Torgi and Chorgi. Yeah, I kind of made their names close. She's speaking to the couple about their infertility issues. I'm sure she overheard the fact that there's a doctor standing here. Okay. I mean, um, yeah, I'm not gonna be like rude. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell him to fuck off. <laughs> but so, you know, yeah. Well, it I, been I mean, at, during this time, yeah. somebody from a medical profession would it should be with you. Hundred so, percent. No, I I agree, and he and I won't have a problem unless he makes it a problem. Oh Jesus um, Christ! He's a professional no, medical what? person. Jeez. So I, I shake his hand. Very nice to meet you, Doctor. Can you can you excuse me for just one moment? Of of course. And I, and I make my way over to Catherine, and I ever so gently <laughs> put my hand on her shoulder, and I say, Catherine, can I speak to you for just a moment? Uh, off to the side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one moment, please. Um, I'll be right back. They smile uh, and just, they start talking amongst each other. Yeah, just think about right. what I said. What can I do Take for you? As um, far away as I can from the group. Right, well, you can go outside. Uh, it's a pretty... Or to the yeah, maybe front outside, office. Right? Yeah, you can go to the front office. So we go to the front office. I'm like, Catherine, listen, I, I just want you to know that I did organize this climb for us and I did bring in these people and there seems to be, as I'm sure you heard, a bit of a mix-up and they, they brought a doctor in. So I just want you to know, number one, that I did not do this intentionally. You're our doctor, crazy though you are, and we're fond of you. And he came a long ways for the money to help him with his hospital. So I'm sort of thinking we have two options. We either bring him with us or 
we can give him a generous donation and send him on his way. But I wanted to give you that option because we've been through a lot and I respect you. You know, that that actually, that means a lot to me that you, you told me. And I'm sure that, you know, I would never think that you're bringing somebody along that, I mean, Jesus Christ, I've, you know, saved all your guys' lives. You, you've saved mine one way or another. Look, I, I'd like to talk to the guy. Like, you know, I, I'm sure that your people are good people. You know, anybody can pass medical school these days. What? You know. <laughs> well, that was what a... I, what I mean by that, that what I mean by that is... <laughs> I, um, I, know, I know what you mean. I know, I, I know what you mean. I only want the best for you guys, and contrary, I'm going to admit a failing. There's things I may not know. If he's from this area, there may be local herbs, things that are more helpful that are locally grown. But, you know, the, the altitude, it's the air that we're breathing. It's different. And so why don't, why don't you yeah. talk to him? Get I'd love to talk to him. Yeah. What you think, and then we can all sort of come together and have a chin wag and uh, and and see what we think is a group. But I want I definitely wanted to take you aside because it took me back, and um and, and I'm sure you heard it and you were upset, and and I apologize for that. Honestly, Sid, I like this place. I like this place a lot. The people are great. The food's beer's great, and the people are all super nice and kind. And this, is, um, this isn't the goat farmer thing again, is it? No, no, that was this isn't I was the side um, of a field in Sicily. Come on, Sid, I'm having a moment with you. Christ, no, I the goat farm thing. I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. I just found out that my former fiance was this prolific crime lord. Okay, and I know, I know, and I'm the end of the this world. place too. I so, like it up here. At, at the end of the day, if this guy can help us out and make sure that we all get down that mountain safely, I say. You know, bring him along. As long as he's not going to be a hindrance or annoying or, you know, explain things to me that I already know. So let's talk to the guy. Okay, so, Kayla, would you quickly go ahead and give me... (laughs) A gun hidden roll, please? No. (laughs) Go ahead and make the luck roll, Kay. Please. Oh, I'm the only one with full luck because... So, yeah. Ooh! Hard success. All right, Kayla. So one of the... The name that has popped up several times... And remember, you're doing this through a translator. You've had to hire a local who gets by on English. And then you're starting to ask questions about things in the area that may not be noticed by the local authorities. So you've had to do this on the sly, very okay. carefully. So it's been hours of walking around, asking very simple questions, um, getting to know um, this merchant, getting to know this particular religious icon getting it you're you just can't walk in and say where's the opium because it's going to feel very like an interpreter is gonna be like ah well so you've been doing this really really carefully yeah so the gentleman who's the smuggler who does work via the air and who may or may not like i said be able to add to your network would be a man by the name of ying ko awesome okay so to approach him have a chat yeah to approach him that's gonna take a few more days to make the proper introductions but, you know, before we get actually out of the festival of Indra Jartra, we'll go ahead and we'll make sure that you have that role. Faye, now you, I know Catherine's been trying to put stuff together. John's working on some local customs regarding the festival itself. And he's learning some things about the Indra, you know, the god and what that means to the locals. You were doing what now? You were just trying to reconnect with people. And you wanted to meet, reconnect with Catherine, you said, specifically, right? Yeah, so what what I've been doing is, you know, I've kind of 
definitely pulled away from everybody while I was recovering and also just dealing with everything. So, you know, I join Aveline when she's out exercising. I just say, can I join? Do you want an extra person? Um, if John's reading something, I come up and I'm like, can I read with you? And I want to invite Catherine to go explore with me so that she and I can kind of have some one-on-one time because she's the one who I've definitely pulled away from the most. Okay. So you got, we'll say it's the 19th um, at this point. You've been here a couple days and there's a, there's some quiet time where Catherine is, she's purchased a bunch of olives and uh, she's opening up some, some things that the olives were transported in these bigger, I don't, I don't know if they had canning. They have canning in 1931. Yeah. Right. Campbell's oh, yeah. canning oh, yeah. was already there. So it's some sort mm-hmm. of like a large can, like industrial sized can of olives. She's opened that up and she's pouring them in a bowl and she's bringing them out so that around the fire tonight they can have pitted olive, you know, olives and stuff and kind of taste that. So Catherine's been spending some money, but she's sitting there right now and she's just kind of emptying this into a bowl that uh, Chorgi gave her. And uh, you find a moment to approach her. Hey, what's you up to? You know, I I paid a lot of money for these olives. And so um, everybody's... I'm trying to make friends. I know, shocking, right? And... I just, um, the guides here have been so nice that, and we're experiencing new things. So I thought, hey, let's give them some food that's not from around here. And this is, so far, this is what I found today. So, great. We get uh, all of them. Um, I Mar- think they're going to love them. Martinis for, for all. <laughs> um, what's up? You okay? Yeah, I'm I'm fine. Um, I just wanted to know if maybe after you were done with that, you wanted to maybe go explore the market with me? Yeah, yeah, when I'm done putting these olives in a bowl, um yeah, that's um she pours the rest in the bowl. Yeah, I'm good. Um let's go explore. You yeah. Um she grabs uh you know, she bought a Tibetan style bag. It's super touristy. Like <laughs> you, you guys can picture it. It's sure. like the little oh, like yeah. colorful knapsack crossbody. She's she's living the Katmandu fantasy, okay? So yeah. she grabs her knapsack. She's like yeah, um, let's go explore this market. Um, there's a very nice guy, bakes the best bread. It's better than Chorgi's bread. Don't tell her. I would never. Let's go. Okay, right. All right, so the two you could do off. John, I'm going to give you one uh, um, before we close out for tonight with just background stuff. Um, this isn't going to be too much of a cliffhanger episode, folks. This is, uh, but the cliffhangers literally are coming. Um, but <laughs> John, Jeez. go ahead and give me a, um, a roll on your... Um, go ahead and give me a charm roll. So you have, uh, okay. charm is one of them. Persuade and charm, right? So, yep. Charm. Yep. Charm works. That is a 31, which with my charm is a hard success. Okay. On the morning of the 20th, you're introduced to a, a holy man who pilgrimaged here from, from the mountains, came, came by himself through a mountain pass Everyone swear this is not the one that the couple are waiting for. He comes from another village. Uh, this gentleman is by himself. He's about sixty. Came only through in robes and uh, a backpack, a very small backpack, and a, and a stick, a walking stick. You're able to understand in time after being introduced to him through a, a, a translator yourself that you found in town. He has made the festival since he was a child. He never. He's always come in to give his his thanks and he's pretty much hermetic by himself 
and he's somehow been able to survive in the mountains. He tells you through the interpreter, one of your friends, another one with skin of snow, has something that has been broken, something that no longer works, something they will need in the future. And if you bring it to him, he will do his best to bring the peace and the spirit of goodness back into this object. The best way he can explain it is to recharge it, repair it. But he's not saying it's broken like a mechanism. He's saying it's been disconnected from the spirit of Earth, from Indra, from the goodness of the, the, the fountain that wells, from the the place where life blooms and blossoms, even in, you know, in the highest peaks to the lowest valley, there is a, there is this spirit and this item has been taken from that spirit. If you can, I can bring it to him. He will try to breathe life back into it. By what he's sharing. Do I have a sense of what he is referring to? Is it, is it Catherine? Catherine's the, the, uh, sort of, you know, light fair skinned one of the group, right? Well, you're all white-skinned to him. So, yeah, you're all skin of snow to him. But Catherine had a had a charm mm-hmm. that she's been wearing. Would I have a notion? Do I have a notion of what he's referring to? It's how you want to interpret it. There's something specific. If you think it's Catherine, you can you can talk to Catherine and, and, and make that call. Um, well, my thoughts lead to Catherine and Faye. I mean, they both okay. have had such you know, spiritual turmoil. And obviously there's scarring there. There's, you know, damage. Okay. But, uh, but he's literally talking about bringing something physical to him, right? Something that he would repair. Something that has, yes, that he needs to repair, that he can try to repair. An object is what the, the, the interpreter says. He says, it, 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 to me, he's trying to say an object. This man doesn't have any worldly possessions for the most part. Very simple things. He's not describing it like a person. It could be. He, it could be metaphysical, you know, like um, a metaphor. But I think he means something. As he's speaking of, of the earth spirits, um, I sort of bow uh, to him. And I, I return a blessing to uh, what I would refer to as the spirit of Poov, the Romani earth spirit. Mm-hmm. And I asked the translator to let him know that that, you know, is my small way of thanking him and returning whatever blessing I can to him and that I will return. But um, the translator doesn't even get a chance to, yeah, the translator doesn't even get a chance to speak it. He's already smiling at you and he's holding two fingers up, just not in a cross or anything of a Christian nature, just he's holding two fingers mm-hmm. up like he understands what you've just said. I He un, okay. he sees that there is, you're trying to return a, a, a moment to him, a special blessing, and he gets it already. He feels it. And I smile. Okay. All right. We're going to leave it there for tonight. Um, that'll give John some time to talk with the rest of the team and figure out maybe what the object might be. Uh, we're going to let it go here. Uh, there are games afoot, folks. You've uh, this has been just setting up chapter three in Nepal. It's going to be a lot. I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. This one's going to be the pulpiest of the chapters to date. This isn't cat and mouse. This is going to be pure Doc Savage type stuff. So it should be a lot of fun. Oh, nice. good fun. Oh, good fun. The bronze man. Oh, great fun. Um, <laughs> but I want to thank everybody again. 
Uh, just setting up the background is always a little bit time-consuming, but it makes the game, I think, richer. So Sid, Kayla, Faye, Catherine, or Lauren, sorry, and Scott, thank you so much, guys. And uh, we'll be back next time real soon with everybody. Until we talk next time from all of us here at Cthulhu in Cairo, we want to say thank you so much. Good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin MacLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.